Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Well, you know, it's been a long uh, weekend with the long shot. It has. We had a good time. Very fun weekend. Yeah. I don't think I'm on yet, but... um. It's great. (laughs) Uh, The uh, nice thing about that is we see a lot of people come up uh, Southern California, you know, Push and Sven, they came up. Yeah. And... uh, See a lot of friends from Northern California. I mean, it, it is. It's a great. It's a great. Uh, a lot of people come in from all around. They get a chance to uh, tour around. You know, a lot of them come up. And they'll spend a, an extra day, uh, one end or the other. They go around to uh, the local haunts. Maybe yeah. go out to uh, some place like uh, Downtown Joe's. Yeah, you know, that's uh, out in Napa. That's pr- pretty close to here. And uh, go by, see Colin Kaminsky, see Joe himself. Tell them uh, right. how much they they like. Uh, uh, the place and the beers there and the food there, that's a good place. It's always uh, a treat to come up you know, and get a, get some really good beer like that. Yeah, one of our sponsors. And they, uh, you know, if you get a chance, go out to uh, Downtown Joe's. Tell them how much you appreciate them supporting the Brewing Network and the uh, programming that we do. And uh, if you if you don't get a chance to see Colin or Joe there, you just go ahead and email them even at uh, info at downtownjoes.com. Yeah, they're good folks. Say, like to hear from you. Say hey, thanks for supporting the Bruin Network. We uh, we love it, and uh, you know we're gonna you know come by downtown Joe's and have a beer. That's right. And uh, you know one of the things uh, about uh, downtown Joe's and Colin is he's real passionate about uh, water, water profiles, and how that affects his beers and the different styles of beers he brews. And, That's right. Uh, you know his water changes quite a bit uh, during the uh, the course of uh, a season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, especially in the spring when uh, they start switching from uh, rivers to to wells and so on, and right in right. the summer, yeah. Same thing happens for me up where I live. Uh, you know, during the summer when the rivers start running low, they uh, can't draw as much off the rivers, so they switch to wells. And during uh, you know the winter and the early part of the spring when the snow starts to melt, we get a lot of river runoff, and uh, that uh, they yeah. go ahead and and actually I. I uh, Met a guy from Southern California, uh, Michael, the other day, and uh, we were talking. And probably the water he uses now in Southern California it comes from <laughs> in the rivers up here, so he's yeah. probably using the same water I'm using. You know, we're very close to it. Yeah. And you know, one of the things we're, we're talking about water is because uh, this is the uh, the show number four in our water gasm. That's right. We're going to uh, you know kind of wrap up. Uh, this discussion of water we we've got the three shows out there yeah we've gotten uh, a lot of reader questions yeah. um, or i keep saying reader listener questions uh, a lot of good emails we've gotten over the last couple of weeks asking you know some follow-up questions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, asking us to clarify a few details so uh, that's what we're going to do this show is uh go through those and help hopefully uh tile the loose ends together for you right right we want this to be a good education uh you know and complete and obviously if people are asking these questions we didn't quite yeah didn't uh, quite nail it and uh, if one person (laughs) asks the questions i'm sure you know lots of other people Uh, the same one probably thousands out there you know got the same wondering the same sort of thing and uh, so we thought we'd go over those questions and, uh, you know, fill, fill these in. And uh, the, the water gansagasm palooza will be, <laughs> will be done. And uh, you, you can refer back to these four shows uh, uh, anytime. Uh, 
All right, so uh, let's let's kick it off here with uh, uh, Tom Labelle's. I think is how his last name is pronounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had uh, some confusion over adding uh, chalk to uh, to his water or to his mash, and he wasn't sure why he couldn't seem to hit his uh, RA target. And what what was going on there? What yeah. why why would he have difficulty with that? Why can't well, he was just he was using chalk? a spreadsheet that's uh-huh. uh, it's available on HowToBrew.com. And uh, in the spreadsheet, you know, you can add, uh, you can iterate uh, how much of each salt that you add to the water and see the result in terms of the residual alkalinity that you're building. And he noticed he was trying to, he was trying to brew a dark beer and trying to add alkalinity. And then, you know, the, the spreadsheet tells you you need to add, you know, 100 parts per million of alkalinity to hit this RA. Well, he was using it, he was adding chalk to get it and couldn't understand why. Um, you know the the number kept changing. He couldn't seem to hit that amount. He put in a hundred, you know, parts per million worth of alkalinity from chalk, and then the number would change. And the reason is is because when you add uh, chalk or calcium carbonate, you're also also adding calcium. When the and the calcium you know adds to the hardness, and so it's like taking two steps forward and one step back in terms of you know adding trying to add alkalinity with chalk. Um, likewise, if you're trying to add hardness to your water and you and adding chalk it's like taking one step forward and two steps back because it's got it's really got you know twice as much alkalinity per per gram as it does uh, hardness so yeah that that was the problem that mm-hmm. uh when when you're trying to add uh just alkalinity mm-hmm. and if your sodium levels are low then you know add some uh sodium bicarbonate some baking soda because mm-hmm. that the, the sodium really doesn't enter into any of the calculations and uh you add uh quite a bit of bicarbonate that way mm-hmm. and so hey, what's the what's the uh what's the way to determine what uh, you should be using to uh, add residual alkalinity, increase um, that number. Yeah, what, what's, it, what's you know? How do I look at my water and decide, and and the style of beer I'm brewing to decide what uh, what I would add? Yeah, it, you know, look again. Look at your water report. What you're starting out with. Um, generally, I think in a lot of areas of the country, you know, people's water is. Um, not very hard. It probably has uh, 40 parts per million of calcium. And as we talked about a couple shows ago, you're looking for anywhere from a, a 50 to 100 parts per million of calcium uh, is is better, is you know more optimum uh, given the other brewing reactions that go on, you know, in terms of yeast flocculation and clarity and so on. Um, so you know, if you're starting out with just like 40 parts per million of calcium or 30, um, and uh, you're trying to build up the water, and if you if uh, you're trying to brew a darker beer, and you you know the spreadsheet tells you you need to add alkalinity, well, I would add part of that as calcium carbonate because you need to get your calcium up. Mm-hmm. You know you want to get to get to those minimums minimums uh, for good fermentation. So you would add a little bit of uh, calcium carbonate. Of course, again, like I said, it's going to be you know one step forward, two steps back kind of thing, and uh, so you're going to want to see what you know you add say two grams. Uh, to your water and see how that changes the the number. Um, once you get up, your calcium level gets up to say uh, 70, 75. You know, then you really don't need to worry about adding any more calcium. Now you want to focus just on the alkalinity that you need for your calculation. And there is where I would add baking soda mm-hmm. because now you're holding your calcium steady mm-hmm. and you're raising your alkalinity and you you know you can dial it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending on the uh, again, depending on the style of beer you're brewing, you may want to uh, change your uh, sulfate to chloride ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, and there again, you could add you know calcium chloride, calcium sulfate uh, to to manipulate that. Or mm-hmm. um, but again, you're going to need to take that of, uh, added addition into account and uh, look at your alkalinity levels again. Mm-hmm. And the best way to address that, you know, when you've you're building your uh, you're building up your hardness again. Um, you're going to want to strictly add uh, sodium bicarbonate to counter that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and uh, Mike Mark uh, Myers he had a question on uh, 
uh, how high uh, in RA you, you would want to go. So uh, on the uh, nomograph that you have as far as uh, uh, in the spreadsheet you're figuring out based on uh, kind of the color of the beer, the SRM of the beer, the darker right. the beer, the more RA you want, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, is there a limit to that? Are you, you know, yeah, there's definitely you, a limit. You should stop, uh, you know, because... A lot of times in competition, I'll taste beers, and people have clearly gone past some sort of limit, yeah, and the yeah. thing tastes chalky or minerally, or you know, it's it's really excessive. Right. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a couple yesterday, kind of like that. Um, the, you know, the 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 whole this whole model that we're talking about in terms of residual alkalinity and in in uh, beer color. You know, it's strictly a model based on you know looking at looking at data, looking at trends, and uh, the you know nature's not linear. So what what you get is when you when you you know design a recipe for a Russian Imperial Stout, and you're putting in lots of dark malts and special roast and a little you know extra dark chocolate malt and some of this malt and so on to get lots of you know interesting flavors in that beer. You calculate the you know the beer color you know and you there's several models out there and they're all you know they're all similar, but you know you calculate a, a beer color of like seventy SRM or you know even higher. Well, you know the the thing is it's actually physically impossible to measure a beer that dark. Anytime you go over uh, a measurement of thirty SRM, the um, let's say you know a beer color measures a measures 40 mm-hmm. let's say it measures 40 in a test well they can't they literally can't get enough light through the beer sample to take that measurement so what they do is they dilute it by half mm-hmm. and then after they dilute it they multiply their result by two you know what i mean mm-hmm. to compensate so anytime you're you're brewing a really dark beer the i guess you know the the calculation that you're relying on to tell you how dark that beer is really going to be is a strict approximation and that uh, takes into, kind of takes into account uh, multiple dilutions that they do in the lab, so it's not very accurate. I mean, um, and therefore, when it comes to calculating how much a residual alkalinity you need to to uh, you know balance a beer that's that dark, um, I found that uh, 250, 300 parts per million residual alkalinity is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I brew. I've no brewed, matter how dark the beer. Yeah, no matter how dark the beer, because. You know, the it's again. It's it's not. This, these aren't strictly salts or chemicals that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. It's a uh, it's an organic solution with organic buffering agents and proteins and so on that are uh, driving the pH. Mm-hmm. And uh, they only go so far. I mean, they're 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 not going to be. You, know, you could you could brew a beer that's a hundred percent black malt, and uh, it would still only have a pH of about you know five point two or four or something. I mean. It's the um, it's the no matter how dark it is, it's not going to drive it the pH that low. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you don't need to go overboard when you when you're adding alkalinity to compensate because there is some built-in buffering in the the malt and yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and I would also say uh, you know as far as color goes, you know color of a beer can be um, you know driven by multiple things so uh not only you know the uh, highly kilned malts which add color in a certain way and and add uh you know uh, a different balance to uh than versus adding a whole bunch of uh crystal 40 right i mean that's that's you, you could get uh you know two different or the same beer color as well essentially and um you know through two different methods and you'd need a different residual alkalinity for for both of those right that's right yeah, we we kind of touched on that um, on the last show, uh, but yeah, the you know dark malts or roasted malts have a different uh, chemical uh, group, a higher melanoidin group than the kilned malts, the crystal malts, and so even though you can generate the same you know color color using the uh, the SRM test, um, the 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 actual acidity of that solution and the actual degree to which those compounds buffer the pH is different between roasted malts and kiln malts. So uh, that's another reason that the the spreadsheet and the nomograph give you 
kind of a high and a low um, residual alkalinity value mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, even for the same beer color. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, here's the low end and here's the high end because it's, a, it's an approximation. If you're brewing a dark beer primarily with kilned malts, then I would use the lower number for residual alkalinity. If you're brewing that same color beer mostly with roasted malts, then I would go with the higher RA number mm-hmm. for that SRM. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, to to further complicate matters, to further make this a more mysterious adjustment is um, the fact that the formulas for calculating the SRM of a of a beer right. are not a hundred percent. So there's there's a number of calculations out there. I use the Mori uh, color calculation, right. and uh, you know you can use a a, a different one. And uh, I've seen it as much as double the SRM yeah, by, by yeah. picking uh, another formula. So yeah, when when you're down in the uh, low know. numbers, you know, for you know pale beers, um, all the all the formulas are all the models are pretty close, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can also uh, approximate beer color simply by multiplying the pounds by the level bond. I mean, you know, mm-hmm, color mm-hmm. units mm-hmm. down the pale beers, you're pretty close that way, but. Once you start getting into the, uh, the you know the browns and so on and mm-hmm. higher, mm-hmm. that's when the models start diverging a bit. Right. And um, if you look at well, and that's the critical point that we're talking about. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, I mean, you look at designing great beers and and articles Ray Daniels did back in uh, brewing techniques on beer color. He had actual data, and I think I, I mimicked that and uh, I copied that in How to Brew and, and uh, cited it. But uh, you know, there's a lot of diversity once you get up into the higher colors. Uh, between what you know the, the uh, perceived color is versus the measured number, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know your the the models, you know they're drawing a line trying to fit the data to a curve, and there's a lot of scatter up at the high numbers. So mm-hmm. you know it's an approximation, and so that's why I definitely don't recommend going over you know generally 250 mm-hmm. parts per million residual alkalinity, mm-hmm. and only in the most, you know, the darkest Russian Imperial Stouts would I suggest going up to 300. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend going over that. Right. And and with all these approximations in there, what you need to do is not hold this as, uh, you know, absolutely strict, okay, the spreadsheet tells me, yeah. you know, and I know a lot of a lot of people, you know, they have a lot of respect for, for uh, the research that you've done and the spreadsheet and all that. And so they say, well, you know, if Palmer says <laughs> this requires, you know, 170 parts, uh, you know, per million, that's what I'm going with. Right. And, you know, if if the if the taste of the beer is not quite right, then you may need to adjust. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a starting point. And, you know, for that recipe, you're going to need to, uh, you know, tweak it. And, you know, maybe you need to go higher. Yeah. Maybe you need to go less. Uh, you know, it just depends. You know, try it at that, at what the, you know, follow the the spreadsheet. That's a, you know, a good way to, you know, get logically a get yeah. a starting point rather than just wildly guessing. Here's, right. here's you know, solid advice. That should get you real close. Maybe it is exactly the right number. But, uh, you know, depending on the recipe, depending on, you know, other factors in your water, depending on, you know, how accurate your, your color formula, you may uh, go a little less, see how that works, or yeah. go a little higher, see how that works, you know, if you're not, if you're not getting the results that, that are desired. Right, right. yeah, that's where the brewer's art comes into play. You mm-hmm. know, the science can only take you so far, and then you've got to trust your instincts, trust your palate, you know, to, and trust your senses when you're brewing that beer to really dial it in right to answer answer you know really what the correct number is again it's an art it's uh you know the the science gets you pretty close and then the difference between i think a really great brewer and brewery versus uh you know just a a good one is you know taking that art point and you know learning from the beer getting feedback from the beer on how you should adjust your water as well right right you know uh you can get close but then you know, even colin he was he was doing all his calculations the way that you know it, yeah. all the science said right and he wasn't getting quite the result that he wanted and so he made some adjustments to that you know and that change you know really was was the difference in in his beer being just good to, to being really great right, right. and uh you know 
So, you know, I was very impressed with just how that one change really, because you really didn't change much else. And, uh, you know, his beers, uh, you know, markedly improved. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of exciting. I'll tell you what, why don't we take a short break? And when we get back, we will um, get into more questions about water. And if you have them on the live chat, uh, type them in. Justin will uh, write them down for us. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Look at you, brewing on this fine summer day. Sun's out, the kids are having fun, and I just got my shipment for more beer. But aren't you going to run into temp control issues with your ferment? Those yeast are going to fry. Eh, normally I would, but this is temperature control month at More Beer, and they're having a huge sale on all sorts of products to help me keep my beer cool while the yeast do their thing. Really? Yeah, like these things here. With this stopper thermal well, this firm wrap carboy heater, and this temp controller for that old fridge over there... I can keep my beer at exactly the temp I want when I want. No more high ferments, no more unhappy yeast. Man, I gotta check this stuff out! You better hurry, the sale is only for this month. Well, alrighty, point me to your computer. And kegerator. I'm thirsty. Right over there. May is temperature control month at More Beer. Come join them for huge savings on things that you need to make beer this summer. Visit morebeer.com and click on the picture of Regan keeping cool in a swimming pool. Temperature control month only at Beer Beer and More Beer. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to Riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. White Labs, your source for maltose mowing monsters, announces the White Labs Platinum lineup for 2009. Looking for out-of-the-ordinary yeast to make the best beer possible? The Platinum strains from White Labs are only available for a limited time and make your homebrew stand out. Through February, find Australian Ale, Essex Ale, and Dusseldorf Alt Yeast. March and April, it's Nottingham Ale, Abbey 4, and Mexican Lager Yeast. And May through June, don't miss Premium Bitter Ale, Belgian Wit 2, and Belgian Bastogne Ale Yeast. Keep up with all the great yeasts in the White Labs Platinum Program at whitelabs.com, where you can also join the White Labs Customer Club. Brew with the freshest and most unique yeast with the White Labs 2009 Platinum Strains. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Put yeah, some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. <laughs> Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're we're in part four of our water water shows here. And yeah, that's definitely my favorite riff from the whole 
the whole thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> testicles. No, I mean, but not, not that. The, not the lyrics, or much the, the you know the music on. Yeah, on that. yeah. I really like that. Yeah, I, I love all the production on the, yeah. on the Brewing Network. I think it's all high quality stuff. It is. Sometimes the, the talent is uh, a little a little weak, but uh, <laughs> especially this morning. <laughs> but then you know you guys make up for it, and and I don't look so bad. So yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah, we got we got a lot of questions on uh, water, and um, you know uh, when when uh, there was a, a time where I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but more beer, they uh, you know our sponsor uh, also for for the show, they right. um, they were doing some uh, you know waters of the world type of uh, kits. I think uh, right. Colin was uh, setting up uh, you know blends of different salts that if you took uh, RO water or distilled water and uh, just you know, threw in a packet of this to your water. Right there, you go. You're you're you've got the water of uh, you know Dortmund or the water of uh, um, you know Dusseldorf or or something like that. And, and somebody Burton on Trent. Yeah. Burton on Trent somebody, somebody did ask, um, you know, what constitutes uh, Joel? I guess it was what constitutes Dusseldorf water? I guess we were talking about you know the water of uh, Munich, the water of uh, Dusseldorf, the water Dortmund, of Dortmund, uh, Dortmund, and. The difference being, you know, uh, it's, it's really going to depend on a lot of different factors. And yeah. the breweries themselves may not be using that water untreated. They yeah. may be making adjustments, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that area of Germany, there's a couple of big big rivers going by, and they, they could be using river water, which mm-hmm. would be, you know, really soft, you know, snow melt, kind of mm-hmm. like it is around here. Um, they could, then they could be switching to groundwater throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, geographically, you know, Dusseldorf is pretty close to Dortmund. Right. So, and uh, you know, the the high, you know, the the high hardness and alkaline numbers of Dortmund still relatively balanced. But that's you know, per, you know, uh, most likely a groundwater source that's mm-hmm. come from there. You know, um, Dusseldorf may be very similar, or you mm-hmm. know, depending on what they use locally, because Köln uh, geographically mm-hmm. is close by, and I know their water is fairly right. soft. And then they have like you know the Rhine runs from like yeah the Netherlands through to you know all the way through Germany down yeah. through yeah you know, so they get some major rivers through there yeah and but uh, you know it's interesting you know the, where the river travels the river is going to pick up and you know it's going to be different at one point in the source right. of the river through you know another and. Um, uh, you know, same thing for well water. Somebody was asking about, you know, how do you, you know, is all well water the same? Yeah, the no, answer going to be no. Very, yeah. it's, it depends on what the the ground conditions are like. If if the water is sitting, the aquifer is in, um, you know, limestone, limestone, or, or you know, granite. chalk or granite or you know, all sorts of uh, different uh, types of uh, possible uh, minerals dissolving in there. That's right. Yeah. The, well, or it's going to vary a lot, you know, to very widely depending on the geography. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I say, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of regions in the U.S. that are you know old sea bottom, and a lot you get a lot of limestone. You get a lot. Mm-hmm. That's why we have lots of alkalinity generally in our water. Um, more, you know, older regions where you know you're talking about granite mountains. You know, the water mm-hmm. can be much softer. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe have some some high hardness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Appalachia and so on can be like that. But, well, uh, even you know, I know when people uh, drill wells on their property, uh, you know, one neighbor to the next, you know, yeah. maybe a, a thousand feet away, they hit a different aquifer, you know, different level. Yeah, and uh, you Somebody know, they have to go deeper. Versus two hundred, yeah, yeah. And if you're off to one side and you you miss the you know the the seam of water that's going through there, you end up. Uh, you know, with a, a different layer, and and all of a sudden, you know, the water is completely different on two different properties that are really not that far away. Right. Yeah, that's, that's why it's always good, you know, to if you're on a well well system to take a sample and send it off to a place like mm-hmm. Ward Labs, and uh, and maybe can, you know, you know, if you got the money, maybe you know, four times in a year to see if yeah. it's changing seasonally at all, because some of those they're they're fed by. You know, water percolating down through. Some of them, uh, you know, are are 
fed by you know uh, different sources um, and isn't it possible you know if you're some wells can be even brackish oh yeah you get close to uh, close to the coastal areas yeah definitely you can, you can get a, a brackish or even uh, inland you know I, I imagine uh, you know Great Salt Lake and all those sorts of things yeah oh Michigan's you know? like that too I mean yeah. there's one of the largest salt mines in the world under Detroit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's lots of brackish water in, in Michigan, well water, and lots yeah. of iron too. I mean, I, I remember uh, drinking iron water as a kid. Rusted there. cars, you fair? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, you you'd find a uh, a pump and or a spring out in the country, and uh, it was just really minerally. Hmm. So. Yeah, so your your uh, well water is going to vary. Your river water is going to vary. All the water is going to vary. Yeah, and uh, you know, should you you know call on a downtown Joe's, um, he was worrying about you know his water every day. So yeah. he was measuring his water and you know adjusting for it differently every day. Now, do you need to do that? I mean, maybe Colin does because he's in the business well, of brewing know. every day. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think you know you can probably you know for homebrewers you can take uh, a couple rules of thumb. You know, uh, understand where your in general your water comes from. You know, mm-hmm. does it come from snow melt? Does it come from a river? Mm-hmm. Does it come from wells? And then and then you know you know look at your local you know municipal water report and they'll tell you on there you know where you know where your water comes from throughout the year mm-hmm. and they may say in you know in the summer we're drawing from wells in the mm-hmm. winter we're we're pulling from the rivers or the lake and um so you know with that information in mind um you know think of you know okay here they've published an average you know for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and uh for instance, your calcium may run, you know, twenty to sixty, mm-hmm. you know, as a range throughout the year. Well, think about you know, so if you if you bump it up by forty parts per million, you, you no matter what time of the year, you're probably in the range, huh? You're probably in the range, but and you could also you know take it, uh, drive that a little bit by saying, mm-hmm. okay, um, you know, when when they're pulling from the river, mm-hmm. it's probably down towards the twenty end. Mm-hmm. When they're pulling from the wells, it's probably by the sixty. Mm-hmm. And you know, and use that you know when you're when right. you're brewing time of year you're brewing, and uh, so maybe you know. set up two water profiles yeah. for for a given recipe, mm-hmm. and it's per recipe, right? And you'd say, well, you know, if if I'm brewing this in the summer, do this. If I'm brewing this in the winter, do that. Right. And then you know, in between, you can kind of average them out, and and you'd be all right. Yeah. Or and if the range is is not so far, if you're in a place where the water you know reports has a, a fairly narrow range for all these values. You can just do one and not worry about it. And That's some right. slight shifts, yeah, the bureau will turn out a little bit different, but it's not going to yeah. be radically different. It's going right. to be all right. Don't 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 really stress about this. You don't have to be down to the last grain, oh, yeah. the last part per billion. Yeah. It's it's going to be all right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, you bring you know, round round your numbers off. I mean, even though it's calculating to um, a single digit or a tenth, you know, round it up. I mean, the nearest tenth, the nearest five, mm-hmm. because yeah, I mean, you're you're working off averages, and brewing's a really robust system. We're trying to we're trying to say you know in general, water treatment can improve your beer, be, you know by helping you drive you know drive it in the proper direction. Mm-hmm. But again, you've got a, ro- a lot of room to play with there. I mean you know you you're moving the system a little bit, but within the, where but within where you're moving to, you got a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's. Um, it's it's not that exact a science, right? And uh, well, the, you know, the, there's the science, but on top of that science, mm-hmm. um, there's art. That's right. And you know, the science will get you close, and then you need to you know use your senses and taste. And if it doesn't seem right, then you know you need to kind of rework the science or make some adjustments, and and, and right. you'll be okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, Brad Nixon had a. Uh, question about how how uh, and why to add salts to the boil kettle. One of the things after we did the shows on the forum, there was some long post somebody did that. Uh, you know, I read part of the way through it, and then I just like I got you know, I kind of got yeah. yeah, I kind of. <laughs> and one of the things the guy got from it was, well, if you add uh, gypsum to the boil kettle, it doesn't do anything. It's like, well, no, that's not really true because I can tell you from my experience uh, brewing with extracts that as an extract brewer, 
if you uh, have a, a pale ale or an IPA, and to one of them you add a teaspoon of gypsum, and the other you don't, the two beers taste quite different. The hop character uh, right, seems right. seems totally different. So obviously, it does have an effect. It, there may be other places along the the point where uh, you you, you want to have your effect, but. Why don't we go back to? Uh, I think we covered this, but it seems confusing for people where yeah, really where right. you can uh, make adjustments, and you know where you should, where you have to, where you don't, where you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a, a a place where you shouldn't make an adjustment, like the sparge water? Yeah, it's yeah, it's not so much I, sh- I shouldn't do it as uh, it's not going to help that much, so you might as well not bother, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean. The the whole theory, you know, water adjustment, you know, begins with the classic brewing cities. You know, you know, this city had this kind of water, and they they developed this kind of beer style that complemented, that worked with it, and you know, it's a it's a really great tasting beer. You know, this city had a much different profile, and they ended up developing a much different style of beer. You know, using that water stuff. With that in mind, what we're what we're doing, we're working on a couple levels with water adjustment. In general, we are trying to uh, duplicate um, the general profile of that brewing city for that you know style of beer that we're trying to brew. Um, but again, it's a very robust system. We just got to get in the ballpark. We don't have to you know get exactly what the numbers say or you know what the the look the, the list says you know what the numbers were you just got to get in the ballpark so um to address the question you know where where and why do we make adjustments well it's important to do it in the mash because that's you know that's starting that's the you know really starting out the whole beers in the mash so you want to make your calculations based on your mash water volume um and and put those salts in, stir them in, and your, your mash pH should come out right, and you're off you're you're off on the right foot. Uh, then when it comes to sparge, generally people are sparging with um, you know relatively higher alkalinity water than the style they're trying to brew. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that case, what you'd want to do is either dilute your sparge water with. Uh, um, RO water or distilled water, you know, if you're trying to brew a really pale beer, uh, you want you want to sparge with distilled water, um, and then, you know, in the boil kettle, uh, where the salts are you know much more soluble, now you can make up for the volume of sparge water that you sparge with, and put in, you know, another um, three or five gallons worth of salt to make up for the sparge volume, to get you know the the total water profile the same as someone that was brewing in that classic city to start with. I mean, you know, the in these in these cities, you know, they're brewing the local water. It has this you know profile of minerals in it, and uh, you know they're they're brewing with that profile the whole way through. That prof- mm-hmm. that water is getting boiled. It's getting the minerals are getting concentrated, and the beer comes out tasting great. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're saying okay. Let's build that profile at the beginning in the mash. Let's kind of you know hold off on mineral additions for the sparge because they don't tend to dissolve well, so it's kind of fruitless to put them in. Mm-hmm. And then make up for that profile in the boil kettle. Mm-hmm. So what we what we're what we're starting to boil in the boil kettle is the same mineral profile that we would have had if we had this water naturally. Mm-hmm. So you know. So, because you didn't add to the sparge because it doesn't dissolve very well, right? You're making up for it in the boil, in the boil kettle. kettle. Yeah, and then to, you start your boil and it boils, right. and you know people have asked you don't me, you don't need that water that adjusted water for the sparge because you're just rinsing the sugars out, right? And generally, point. the mash pH is not going to change that mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. The only time it's really going to change um, significantly is when you're trying to brew a very pale beer with very alkaline water. Mm-hmm. Any other situation, it's not critical. Right. Well, and uh, you now as an extract brewer, mm-hmm. what uh, you know would people do now? The, the mash has already been created for them. It's got all sorts of minerals in it from wherever the the extract was produced, right? And that mash and concentrated down, and they've concentrated down the minerals as well. So you just reconstitute that with uh, uh, RO water or uh, uh, distilled, you know, distilled or whatever. But 
you know the water that they've created with that mash that isn't necessarily in 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 that extract that isn't necessarily the water that you want to emulate if you're making a uh, you know a, 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 an English IPA, IPA or, yeah, or something right. like that right so you may still want to make some adjustments in there you don't really know exactly what the mineral profile of that uh, extract is, right? Right. You can have right. a pretty good guess if you know where it was produced, and you can even ask them. I, I suppose they could tell. They could tell you if you. I bet you if you contact yeah. Brees and ask them what the water was during the mash that's used in there, they they probably tell you. The good yeah. good people out there. That's right. Um, you know, and uh, you could you know assume from there, and you make your rest of your adjustment in the in the boil kettle. So yeah. if you're extract brewer. It doesn't mean you, you know. Don't do at water adjustment. I mean, it right. means you you've got to understand what your starting point is, and you know, and what you can do. I mean, if you're brewing an extract recipe and you're putting in your local tap water, and your local tap water is, you know, an alkaline tap water, uh, then it probably would be good to add some sort of some form of calcium to your boil kettle to help. You know, I mean, uh, assuming that you start out with, you know. Uh, a balanced or or a, a good residual alkalinity in the extract itself. Mm-hmm. If you were to dilute that up with distilled water, let's assume that that, um, that wort has the right RA for whatever style that you're going to brew with it. But if you add alkal, if you reconstitute, reconstitute that uh, extract with alkaline water, local you know tap water, then you probably want to balance that alkalinity that you've from your tap water. With additional calcium, bring it back into balance that way. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, on the other hand, if you build up your your extract uh, words with uh, distilled water, you you necessarily don't necessarily have to add anything um, to the water to balance it back out. But let's say you brew that beer, you try that beer, you taste it, and think you know it needs something that's not quite as crisp as I want, or it doesn't mm-hmm. have quite the character I want. You know, then you know you've brewed this beer once with a certain method. You know what it's lacking, and now you can tweak it. You can add mm-hmm. some calcium sulfate. You can add some calcium chloride mm-hmm. uh, to you know to manipulate the flavors. You know, or um, you you know you you brew that extract beer, and it's not as clear. You know, the clarity of it isn't as good as you would hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, calcium can help clarity. So you know, you can say to yourself, when I brew this extract batch. I'm going to need to add more calcium in the boil kettle to help my clarity. And that's also going to have, say, this effect on the flavor. I mean, you've got to look at that. You may want to add uh, additional calcium using two sources, calcium chloride and calcium sulfate. You know, if you've decided that your uh, chloride to sulfate ratio is perfect for the beer, it's just the clarity was off that you're trying to correct. So, you know, keep in mind all the different, you know, effects that mineral additions can have. And in planning, planning out your additions. Okay, let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we might have another question or two, and then we definitely have some questions from the chat room. And All right. uh, if you're listening live, get in there and uh, ask some questions. Back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. 
Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months I think, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Holler Tower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate shipping and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a brewing network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking water. Here with my uh, good buddy, John Palmer. Water Ganza Part 4. It's the Ganza Palooza... Four. <laughs> you can't gain a palooza enough, if you ask me. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's what we did this weekend at the at the Long Shot, and uh, you know the, the good guys from uh, More Beer. They they played a big role in the, the Long Shot every year. They yeah. do. They handle all the incoming beer and process it and unpack it and uh, label it and get it there, and it's all sequenced. And yeah, the ju- the judging went really smoothly. I mean, the whole well, time because you know all the prep work that goes into it. They yeah. put you know hundreds of hours into that thing yeah. before we even get there and uh makes makes a big difference and i you know i really appreciate that you know them doing that and they do it uh pretty much out of the kindness of their heart and uh you know for the past few years and uh, uh you know they're a great sponsor they you know they sponsor us they keep us on the air and uh, right. very appreciative so if you get a chance uh you know go to uh you know morebeer.com and uh you know drop them an email tell them tell them how much you appreciate that and you know, maybe buy something when you get a chance mm-hmm. or you know when you're placing an order you put a comment in there say, yeah hey, yeah use that comment box on the order form and appreciate you uh you know sponsoring the brew network same thing for uh you know, any of our sponsors you know downtown joe's mm-hmm. you know info at downtown joe's.com and uh say hey thanks a bunch we really you know we we appreciate you helping uh helping us get this information for free otherwise we'd have to charge you I don't know what we were thinking. What was it? Uh, Nine thousand dollars a show, an yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you'd pay pal nine thousand dollars, and then you'd get an episode, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> so the water Ganza, therefore, is worth like thirty-six thousand dollars. We'd probably give you a deal thirty-five thousand for for all four shows. Yeah, there you go. But uh, so you know, Downtown Joe's is yeah. saving you you know thirty-five thousand dollars. So. Yeah, throwing a throwing a bonus you know remark. Yeah, that's right. Go go. Go go buy a beer at Downtown Joe's. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, back to our, our, our gains of questions. Uh, Soren, uh, he had a question on, can you calculate where and how much of the calcium goes during the brewing process reactions? I'm sure you, you, you could. You could you could say, well, you know, this goes here, then it goes there, and yeah. uh, you know, here's exactly what happens. But uh, do we need to get into that detail? Or Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, or what are the parts that there, you know, there are change? so many? Yeah, there's so many different reactions going on during you know during the brewing process. I mean, we know of a few of them. We know that uh, 
you know, the calcium is, you know, is combining with malt um, phosphates and so on and precipitating out and, you know, mm-hmm. some is being absorbed by the yeast and, you know, other reactions going on. And well, and that, you know, freeze, it changes, uh, you know, the acidity and, uh, you know, all, yeah. all those, you it's, know, it's, it's a, a very really, complex process. Yeah, it's a really complex system. I don't know that anybody knows, you know, the entire spectrum of reactions that go on. I mean, they've got a couple of the main ones to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and even for for the nomograph and for the spreadsheet, you know, I'm working with basically one, you know, equation or, you know, one model of, of uh, what goes on, you know, in the mash, um, I don't think I don't think it, the full system is really defined enough to be able to calculate, you know, everywhere the calcium goes, so we know exactly mm-hmm. how much to add. We're still you don't, the, you don't think somebody way. like Charlie Bamforth uh, knows it? it? It's a possibility, but uh, he hasn't told me that he solved it yet. So yeah. I'm assuming there's still some. If anybody out there. you know has has uh, you know some solid ideas, I, I would bet yeah. it'd be him. Yeah, that's and right. He's going to be at the uh, the NHC. We're both going to be there. The yeah. whole Brewing Network crew is going to be there at uh, the the Homebrew Conference and. Uh, and including the competition, including the anniversary yeah. party right before the conference, uh, it's going to be a grand old time. They even have uh, the BN even has a, a couple of buses going on bus tour. Wow. Be yeah, not, not to slight NHCs of years past, but I think this year this is just going to be incredible. Beat the band, and uh, Bamforth is going to be speaking at the uh, the judge reception. If you're oh, a BJCP yeah. judge, you go to the BJCP.org, and they've got a link there. You can sign up for the uh, judge reception. You're going to get a gourmet meal uh, from the homebrew chef, uh, Sean Paxton, uh, paired with a uh, beer. And then uh, there's going to be uh, a, a talk uh, by uh, Charles Bamforth to the to the small group there. There's a limit of 150 people, so you know, get your butt out there and sign up right away. Oh, yeah, You can bring a guest, uh, but the BJCP does not... Uh, uh, you know, offset the cost for the guest. The guest pays full price, which is twenty six bucks uh, in cost for the food. Still, for one of Sean Paxson's dinners. Right. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and then you know, if, if you're a BJCP member, it's ten bucks. Yeah, you know, the gee, BJCP is is taking sixteen dollars and uh, and paying that for you. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you sign up, and uh, it's going to be a great time. And actually, uh, uh, Sven is the organizer for this. Hmm. He stepped up and uh, he's doing a good job. He's got that that set. Yeah, this is going to be a great thing. You go to that thing. And then uh, after that, work your way over to the uh, the Brewing Anniversary uh, Brewing Network Anniversary Party. It's going to be uh, real close by there, just a few blocks away. And uh, we're just going to have that. It's going to be one of the most incredible <laughs> conferences ever. All right, so. Uh, you know, since it's a live show, we got a uh, live chat. You can get in there, and you can ask some questions. And uh, Justin, what do we got uh, for the uh, water end of the water ganza? All right, uh, a few questions came through. Uh, one of our listeners says he has uh, water with very little of anything in it. Uh, it does, however, have about 80 parts per million of uh, bicarbonate, HCO3. If I'm brewing a pale lager, he asks, they say you want to have uh, water with less than 50 parts per million bicarbonate. If I add uh, CaCl2, calcium chloride, right? look at me, uh, does the <laughs> HCO3 go somewhere? No, it doesn't really go anywhere. What you've done, though, is you've balanced the pH. You've balanced the effect that the bicarbonate has with uh, calcium. And let me go back to the, that those recommended levels of bicarbonate. You know, for to brew this, you know, pale beers, you know, amber beers, dark beers. Those those recommendations were made before people, you know, really started talking about the balance, the residual alkalinity effect, and so. Yeah, if you're if you're not, you know, if you're not going to understand the the RA of the water uh, and the effect it's going to have on you know what uh, the beer color and the, the relationship there, then yeah, you can kind of draw a guideline. Say, well, if your bicarbonate is below this much, then you should be able to brew a pale beer well. Um, but so, with regard to his question, you know, if his if his bicarbonate is eighty parts per million. Yeah, that's that's fine. It could be a hundred. It could be two hundred. The key is to add enough uh, hardness to balance that to get the right RA for the style of beer he wants to brew. Okay, a couple more questions. Ebone in the chat today has a couple questions for you. Uh, he wants to know: Does adding potassium metabisulfate uh, Camden tablets for dechlorination affect my RA or other ion concentrations in any way? Do I need to compensate? No, it doesn't. Um, when you add uh, camden tablets, you know sodium or potassium metabisulfite, what you what you to treat, say you know ten twenty gallons of water, 
what you end up with is maybe 10, 15 parts per million of sulfate resulting and um, some uh, some chloride. Those you know those two minerals. I mean, they have, they affect affect flavor a little bit, but you know the 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 ten to fifteen parts per million you know for the whole batch is not going to affect flavor that much, and those don't enter into your RA calculation. Okay. He also uh, wants to know. I think he's addressing our third in the water Ganza show. I want to know if you could go over some of the classic beer styles of the world and address the chloride to sulfate ratios in them. Um, could you be more specific than just on the sulfate side or on the chloride side? Uh, he's asking for specific ratios. Well, uh, if you look in, if you look at that list of classic brewing cities, um, you know, you, and you can look in Ray Daniels' book. You can look in my book. You can. There's other How to Brew, page one sixty. Yeah, I mean, there's there's various lists of what uh, profile of these profiles for these cities. Um, the numbers vary, but I'm um, looking at. Uh, let's see. If I look in, you know, I guess it, like Jamil says, page one sixty, the chloride sulfate ratio of Pilsen comes out at one. Um, for Dublin, it comes out to. Um, Two and a half for the uh, sulfate side. Uh, that is two and a half um, times as much sulfate as chloride. With uh, Dortmund, you get a ratio of about two uh, sulfate to chloride. Um, Vienna Lager, I mean, that's uh, kind of surprising looking at it. For as soft as you know that beer is, you know, tastes. I mean, the the, the sulfate to chloride there is six well, to one. And let me interrupt you. Where would you go to figure this out? How would you figure this out on your own? Yeah. So I, you know, yeah. Uh, for those who uh, you know want other cities that aren't in the book, where where would you go? Where would you uh, go? You go to the internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. And just, what would you look for? Well, um, like when I was trying to trying to I was trying to get some information on Dusseldorf um, for the other gentleman's question. Um, I just, you know, typed in Dusseldorf mm-hmm. Water Report, mm-hmm. and uh, then I thought, well, you know, I may, have, I probably should translate that in German. So I used Babelfish to, mm-hmm. um, you know, find out that uh, water is Wasser and mm-hmm. report is like um, Barricht or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I can type that in, mm-hmm. do a Google search, and you know, I pull up a, a document in German and um, looks like a water report, and start reading through it, and here's. Mm-hmm. You know the international symbol, you know chemical symbol for calcium, and mm-hmm. so it's not hard to find yourself, guys. Yeah, you know you can get in, you know, look up the numbers and calculate it out. Um, the day we turn John Palmer into Google is, uh, <laughs> I quit the BN. You can look this stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, just just get in there, look it up, um, take take the take the number with a grain of salt, you know, because uh, it may not it may not be really accurate, but it gives you a ballpark to start with. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple more questions that came through. Uh, this person wants to know, uh, does decoction mashing change the water chemistry uh, through concentrating or losing minerals? Decoction mashing definitely lowers mash pH um, by a couple tenths, maybe even up to a half. I'm uh, Look in the decoction section of my book because I think I addressed that. Um, don't rem- quite remember off the top of my head, but... The as to how it changes it, I I don't know the mechanism for sure. It could be um, greater uh, release of starches, greater release of enzymes, or um, you know uh, precipitation reactions that occur in you know during the boiling of the grist. Um, you know because there's some oxygen there, and those would combine with the the calcium and phosphate to do, you know to uh, uh, Precipitate more the more the calcium out, and that's how it happens. Okay, not real sure, but it definitely does have an effect. All right, two more quick questions. Uh, does fluoride pose a problem in brewing water? Not that I know of. No. Okay. And finally, uh, Big Tex asks, uh, how do you determine the volume of water that needs to be treated in the brew kettle? Is it total boil volume minus treated mash water? Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, like a, like we mentioned at the beginning. I mean, you think of this as you're trying, you're more or less trying to emulate uh, what a local brewer would have experienced. So, you you arrive at a, a mineral profile. You put in enough mineral, enough salts into your mash tun to mimic that water. You kind of you skip over the sparge. You know, of it. I mean, you don't add salts during the sparge, but once you've got all your water in the boil kettle. 
you want to make up for that sparge volume. So, yeah, it's, you know, as you start your boil, take that total boil, total volume, subtract out how much of that water came from the mash, and put in enough salts to compensate to get an overall profile. Well, and, and one thing to make clear is the reason you use the, the, the pre-boil volume in your boil kettle is because that's what the brewer in Burton-on-Trent would have been using. That's their their yeah. local water made up that volume, and it gets concentrated down as well. So uh, you're not looking at the final volume of your, your boil. Right. You're not measuring it off of the five-gallon batch of wort that you're putting in the in a, right. in a fermenter. You're measuring it off of your total pre-boil volume, and that's yeah. that's what needs to match. Yeah, because we, we don't know what, what reactions are, are going to occur in the boil. We don't know how much evaporation is going to necessarily going to happen. Mm-hmm. All we know is that you know the local brewer would have used that water and going into the boil kettle, he would have had that you know local water profile to start with, mm-hmm. and then things happen and fermentation happens, and then the beer happens. Makes sense. That's it from the chat room, guys. Great, another great uh, show in the water gasm series, yeah. and. Uh, I think we're uh, done. I, uh, That's it. I hope that hope that wraps up all the loose ends. Uh, if not, well, we'll email us and, and maybe we'll do another part five. But uh, coming up next, we're going to talk filtering and uh, all the, the the tricks of, of filtering. How you might uh, get a nice clear beer. Yes. And uh, we got a special guest in studio to help us out with that. Our own Tasty McDowell. Yes. And. Uh, you know, if you get a chance, uh, visit our sponsors, uh, www.morebeer.com and uh, downtownjoes.com. They're down in uh, downtown Napa's. Uh, mm-hmm. Stop by there, come out for the conference, and uh, make sure you swing by downtown Joe's and More Beer. And uh, show, them, show them some love for showing us all the love and keeping this show going and uh, all the other fine programming on the Ruin Network. It, it wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. And our sponsors won't uh, keep uh, ponying up the bucks if you guys don't uh, show them that it has uh, an effect on uh, your behavior. So uh, thanks for listening. Until uh, next time, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody.